The 2023 College Football Hall of Fame ballot is out. Two Sun Devils continue to be on the ballot as they continue to fight for their dreams of getting to the ultimate honor in college football, as well as tons of other Pac-12 players, which we'll dive into on today's episode of the Locked on Sun Devils podcast. You are Locked on Sun Devils, your daily podcast on the Arizona State Sun Devils. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. And welcome back to the Locked on Sun Devils podcast. My name is Richie Bradshaw, and I will be your guide for everything Arizona State Sun Devils football, basketball, and otherwise. Thank you guys so much for making us your first listen every day. Remember, we're free and available on all platforms, including YouTube, if you would like to check us out in a visual platform. But wherever you do get your podcast, make sure that you hit the subscribe or the follow button and turn on those notifications so you get an update every time we put out a new episode. For the months of June and July, we will be in an off-season schedule where there will only be three episodes a week. As of right now, the tentative plan is to make those episodes available Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday, right in the middle of the week so that you get a full dose of Arizona State coverage. That is open to changing to a Monday, Wednesday, Friday, if you guys would prefer that. But if you would like that change, make sure that you go ahead and let me know that you would prefer that schedule instead of the current schedule. You can always find us on Twitter. You can find me at RichieBrad36. Those DMs are open if you would ever like to slide in and have a conversation with me. Especially encourage that if you think that we should change the schedule. Like I said, that is tentative and open to switching up if you guys would prefer that. You can also follow the podcast and hit us up there as well at LO underscore Sun Devils. Make sure that even if you're not hitting us up about that, you follow us there. And you get all of the best content in the whole wide world. We're constantly on there having a good time and engaging with our followers. Tons and tons and tons of fun. Now that we've got that update for you guys as far as the schedule goes, let's go ahead and dive into today's conversation as two Arizona State Sun Devils continue to be on the ballot. This time for their, I need to double check this, Uh, one of them on their fourth year and one of them... Uh, I can't remember how long he's been on. I think two or three years now. But those uh, Arizona State Sun Devil football legends being head coach uh, Daryl Rogers, who coached for the Sun Devils for five seasons, including a Fiesta Bowl win back in the 1982 season, as well as kicker Luis Zendejas, who finished his career at the time as college football's all-time leading scorer, Arizona State's all-time leading scorer, and is still the number two scorer in Arizona State. History. Taking a look first at those guys before we spend the remainder of the podcast looking at the entire wide scope of the Pac 12, the Conference of Champions. Looking at the Arizona State guys, I want to take a look at Luis Zendejas first. Now, Zendejas started a dynasty within his family. You had tons of Zendejas family members who were kicking in the state of Arizona. He had a brother who was down in Tempe, unfortunately. And then his son, Christian Zendejas, was actually kicking for Arizona State for the last three years before entering the transfer portal. And to my knowledge, he is still in the transfer portal, but I am double-checking that right now because I am not 100%. Yeah, he is still currently in the transfer portal. There's always that opportunity for him to return to Arizona State, but 
this is the second time that he's been in the portal. Remember last year, he was unsure whether or not he was going to return to the program. But neither here nor there, focusing on Luis Sendejas. Sendejas was, or currently is, one of the most accurate kickers in college football history, nailing 99.3% of his extra points, missing just one during the 20, or excuse me, goodness gracious, during the 1983 season and hitting 75% of his field goals, uh, 81 of 108 attempts. His best was an 80%, which came as a freshman during the 1981 season. So maybe not one of the greatest field goal kickers ever, but he was certainly as automatic as they came when it came to extra points. Ended his career with 380 points in four seasons, nearly 100 points a year. Career best season in 1983, which again was one of their more finer season, uh, finer seasons, I should say, uh, as far as his his, uh, his his accuracy goes. I I should put it more frank in in that sense. Um, that that was his career best, 112 uh, total points. Goodness gracious, I can't I can't articulate right now. Apparently. <laughs> Uh, that 1982 season was another outstanding year for him. This was the year that they went 10 and two and won the Fiesta Bowl. I believe this was against Oklahoma. Yes, that is correct. Uh, it was against Oklahoma uh, during the Barry Switzer era. Now Switzer is a guy who is in the College Football Hall of Fame as well. Managed to go 157 and 29. So beating a Barry Switzer team was a very very impressive feat for the Arizona State Sun Devils during that 1982 season, 1983 Rose Bowl. Now, for what it's worth, that was also the year that John Cooper, or not John Cooper, John Cooper is, is a guy we'll talk about uh, later on this week, a little tease for you guys there. Uh, Daryl Rogers was the head coach during the Luis Zendejas era. So uh, Zendejas kicking from 81 to 84, Rogers being the head coach for Arizona State from 1980 to 1984. So pretty much the entirety of uh, Daryl Rogers' stay with Arizona State, he had Luis and Dejas now. Now, taking a look at Daryl Rogers, now his scope is definitely going to be more focused on the wider uh, spectrum of his college football career entirely. So, excuse me, during his time, uh, his longest stint was definitely with Arizona State. He coached five years for us. Managed to go 37 wins, 18 losses, and one uh, one time. Uh, in the Pac-12 play, went 21-14-1. That was where his only tie came into play. Had four out of his five seasons were uh, winning seasons. 1984, he only went five and six and was subsequently uh, moved on from following that year. But he did manage to have a 19-4 and record between 81 and 82, which included that Fiesta Bowl win. So there was a point in time as well during that 82 season where they were ranked as high as number six in the nation on the AP poll, which, you know, in college football is a very big deal. That would be one of the highest rankings that Arizona State has seen in its history program. The last time they were ranked that highly was during the 2012 season in the prime of the Todd Graham era with Taylor Kelly at the helm. So very, very big deal that you were able to have, or was it 2013? Either way, there, it was it was, it was was one of those years for Arizona State. I think it was 2013, now that I think about it. It was one of those years that Arizona State was able to manage a 10-win season. They won the Pac-12 South, but ultimately did not win 
the Pac-12 after getting their butts handed to them by Stanford. But a very, very good record for Daryl Rogers during his stint with Arizona State. Just a short-lived stint. He also managed to be the head coach at Michigan State, San Jose, and Fresno State. So during his time there, a winning record with all of those teams. Uh, Fresno State managed to go 43-32-1. San Jose State, he was 20, or uh, that, that was four years, sorry. Four years at uh, Fresno State. Well, he, goodness gracious, uh, seven years, excuse me, at Fresno State. They were in two different conferences at the time. They had originally started in the California Collegiate Athletic Association, which is no longer a conference to my knowledge. And then going to the Pacific Coast Athletic Association, which again, I do not believe is a conference still, but I could be wrong in that. But in those seven years there, managed to go 43, 32, and one. Spent three years at San Jose State, which was a 22, 9, and 3 record. Four years at Michigan State, going 24, 18, and 2. And then again, those five years at Arizona State, which I was incorrect. That was not the longest stint that he had because I can't do math, apparently. Managed to go 37, 18, and 1 for a collective record of 129 wins, 84 losses, and or uh, eight, yeah, 84 losses and seven ties. He did have a very short stint in the NFL for what it's worth, four years with the Detroit Lions, but he went 18 and 40. So, not exactly a very good college or uh, pro stint for him. Overall, I think that these guys maybe don't have the strongest resumes. To get into the College Football Hall of Fame, I think Daryl Rogers is a guy who's kind of flirting with that. I, I do believe that Zendejas absolutely needs to get in eventually. He was at one point College Football's all-time leading scorer. He's one of the most accurate kickers when it comes to extra points in the history of the game. And while his field goal percentage flirting right around that 75% range may not be some game-breaking uh, you know, opportunity guy when it came to kicking field goals, he nonetheless was a very, very important piece in Arizona State's 80s teams and one of the most important guys in general when you look at the wider scope of Arizona State football history. I mean, the dude, Arizona State has had a very rich history when it comes to kickers. You got to remember that Zane Gonzalez, another guy who we're going to talk about later this week, spoiler alert, is somebody that uh, was, was, just absolutely dominant during his time at Arizona State. But to follow in the shoes of Luis Zendejas is a very, very big deal. So, I mean, Zendejas, one of the gold standards for kickers at Arizona State, if not the gold standard, depending on whether or not you would value him more than Zane Gonzalez for the era that they played in. But overall, that's just kind of my initial thoughts on those two guys being on the ballot. We're going to go ahead and hop into our first break. But when we return, we're going to dive into the conversation of the other Pac-12 players who are going into the Hall of Fame. First looking at, or on the ballot, I should say. First looking at the six first-time ballot guys, and then taking a little bit of a larger scope at the rest of the guys going into the group. This, of course, being the Locked on Sun Devils podcast. Don't you love a chewy chocolate brownie? What about a caramel brownie with caramel swirled on top? So good. What if I told you you can have all that chewy chocolate deliciousness plus 17 grams of protein? You're in luck because caramel brownie bars are available at Built.com right now and you got to act fast because they're a fan favorite. Forget about dessert. These are better than dessert. Plus the macros are unreal. The 130 calories, 17 grams of protein, and only 4 grams of sugar. I would replace a regular brownie with Built's caramel brownie bar. 
in a heartbeat. The best part is caramel brownie bars are covered in 100% real chocolate. Like, for real. With Built, you don't have to sacrifice tasty for healthy. You can have both. And all of Built's bars are made with a collagen protein, which your body absorbs more efficiently and provides tons of health benefits. There are a million reasons that you should try Built Bars. But for now, let's just say the caramel brownie will rock your world. That's not an understatement. With Built, tasty is the new healthy. Go to Built.com and get your box of caramel brownie bars now. Go to Built.com and use the promo code LOCKED15 and get 15% off that order. That's promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at Built.com. And again, thank you guys so much for making the Locked on Sun Levels your first listen every day. We have an important favor to ask you. We've put together a survey so we can learn more about our listeners like you and make your favorite Locked On podcast even better. This is your opportunity to tell us what you like and don't like about Locked On Podcast. Go to LockedOnPodcast.com slash survey right now to get started. It won't take very long, and everyone that completes a survey can qualify for a chance to win one of $1,000 Ticketmaster gift cards. To take our audience surveys, go to LockedOnPodcast.com slash survey. Thank you guys so much for your help. Diving back into our conversation now about the College Football Hall of Fame ballot this year and the Pac-12 players who are getting ready to enter. You have six guys who are going to be first-time ballot guys, and I want to talk about them first before we dive into the guys who are coming back for their opportunity to get into the College Football Hall of Fame. Now, looking at the top, you have two Oregon players, one Washington State player, uh, two Utah players, and one Colorado player. Now, reading off that order, you have Haloti Nana and LaMichael James, two absolutely dominant guys from the uh, fr- from the Oregon Ducks. You have Ryan Leaf, who people forget because he was one of the biggest busts, if not the biggest bust in NFL history, is the, is the uh, guy for Washington State on the ballot. Eric Weddle and Alex Smith, two guys who were very, very important to the Utah Utes in the early 2000s, which, by the way, were coached by a guy who should get into the College Football Hall of Fame one day in Urban Meyer. And then you have Matt Russell, the linebacker from Colorado, also on the ballot for the first time. Looking at the Oregon guys first. Haloni Nana, someone very close to my heart because he was a, a Baltimore Raven for a very, very long time. And a guy who is going to end up in the NFL Hall of Fame one day, I believe. Now, he was such a crazy specimen during his time uh, with the Oregon Ducks. He was a guy who was over that 300-pound mark pretty significantly. I believe he played probably around 320 or 330. I don't have it in front of me at the moment. But he was like this freaky athlete for the defensive tackle position. He was a very unique kind of player. He moved incredibly fluid for somebody as big as he was. And he produced in a very, very short time frame for the Oregon Ducks. Now, he only had one year of production during the 2005 season. But in that year, he managed 61 tackles, uh, nine tackles for loss, and three sacks. What's really, really funny is he had a 30-yard punt return, which I imagine had to have been some kind of muffed punt. But regardless of that, Haloti Nata was just this freaky, dominant athlete a guy who I feel doesn't get enough conversation when it comes to college football hype, but ultimately was a top 10 pick by the Baltimore Ravens in 2006 and took no time to adjust. He was very much a guy who was viewed as like a boomer bust project because he was so raw coming out. 
But ultimately, that talent definitely paid off for Baltimore. He ends up being one of the greatest, if not the greatest, nose tackle to ever play the sport at a pro level. But a very dominant guy in the college level, too. So it's cool to see him get that kind of recognition. Looking at LaMichael James next, to me, this is a slam dunk guy. This is one of the the most dominant and explosive playmakers to ever grace college football as a whole. And I think that you can make an argument he is the greatest Pac-12 running back ever. But, I mean, it's a very interesting argument because the Pac-12 has had a lot of very good running backs come through through their conference. You've had, you know, Reggie Bush and Marcus Allen and O.J. Simpson. You've had the likes of other Oregon guys. De'Anthony Thomas is another person who comes to mind. Kadeem Carey at U of A was another very, very dominant running back. You've had tons of guys who've come through the program. A couple of UCLA guys, I can't think of off the top of my head. Uh, Maurice Jones-Drew. or Yes, Maurice Jones-Drew, Marshawn Lynch at Cal, another guy we're going to talk about here in just a minute. But looking at LaMichael James' production, it was absolutely ridiculous. Three years. He had 5,082 yards, which includes two back-to-back 1,700-yard seasons. As a freshman, he rushed for 1,546 yards, 6.6 a clip for his career, 53 rushing touchdowns. He also managed to catch 51 passes, turned it into 586 yards and four touchdowns. He was a guy who had some ability on special teams, but wasn't exactly this go-to option. In his career, he had 14 punt returns, which 13 of them came his junior year. Turning them to 137 yards for 9.8 and average one touchdown. Really, really good. And he was a guy that I actually got to enjoy watching play. LaMichael James was just on a whole other plane of existence when it came to dominant players in college football. Super small guy, too. Like sub sub six foot. I want to say he was only like five foot nine. He yes, I had to double check. He was a five foot nine running back, sub 200 pounds. But just so, so good. And a really, really fast guy, too. Opportunity to break the big one at any given moment. So, to me, he's a slam dunk Hall of Famer. But the College Football Hall of Fame process is a very weird one. Ryan Leaf, another guy who comes up here. Now, everyone, when you think of Ryan Leaf, thinks about him as just this massive NFL draft bust. I mean, he's legitimately in the conversation for biggest draft bust ever. And he definitely had some character concerns, but... Has ultimately turned his life around. I want to say he's a coach now. I'm not sure where he might be with Washington still, but I'm not 100%. He is coaching somewhere, though, to my knowledge. And in his college career, he he was only a 53.8% passer. But you got to remember, this is the late 90s, which still wasn't exactly this dominant passing league. You had exceptions, but definitely not not really a a very dominant passing game Uh, pass for just shy of 7,500 yards, 59 touchdowns and 24 interceptions, which included a senior season where he threw 3,968 yards, 34 touchdowns, 10.1 yards per attempt. It was absolutely, or excuse me, that was uh, uh, adjusted. His actual yards per attempt, just straight yards per attempt was still 9.7. He was a very, very good quarterback, very strong arm. There was a conversation to be had about whether he should be the number one pick over Peyton Manning or not. Definitely a guy who should get in down the road, I believe. Looking at the two Utah guys, Eric Weddle and Alex Smith, both of them played uh, during the early 2000s. Smith, three years from 2002 to 2004. 
and Eric Weddle from 2003 to 2006. Both guys highly coveted end up having terrific NFL careers. For what it's worth, Alex Smith really started off as a bust and then turned it around into one of the most like rock-solid pro careers that we've gotten to see in the last 10, 15 years. And Alex Smith also overcomes one of the most devastating injuries that the NFL has ever seen, where he snapped his leg in half, nearly had to get it amputated, and came back and played some football. Albeit not great football, but nonetheless, he came back and played, which is just unbelievable. But looking at the college production, four years, Eric Weddle recorded 18 interceptions. And in the two years that they actually counted tackles, they didn't count it his first two years, he managed 90 tackles in two years, racked up five sacks. He was a terrific player. Of those eight, he ugh, of those 18 interceptions, he housed three of them. So Eric Weddle was a very, very, very good player. Ends up being a second-round pick. Goes to the pros. Arguably has a Hall of Fame career, including some time with the Baltimore Ravens, where he racked up 1,179 tackles, 29 interceptions. He was an absolute stud. Alex Smith was the number one pick one year. Uh, in his two years starting, he threw for 5,199 yards, tossed 47 touchdowns to just seven interceptions while completing uh, just about 66% of his passes. He was unbelievable. He was just such a smart, smart quarterback. Did not turn the ball over. Very efficient. Never had the big arm. He wasn't going to sling the ball down the field and just blow you away with these big plays, but he was so smart. And he was a guy who was so safe and reliable. And during a time where Utah was really, really not a great uh, college football program. In fact, they weren't in the Pac-12 at the time for what it's worth. They were in the Mountain West Conference. But he was the quarterback that really put Urban Meyer on the map. Urban Meyer, of course, goes on to Florida, wins the national championship, goes on to Ohio State, wins the national championship. Alex Smith was a huge reason that Urban Meyer was able to make a name for himself. The last guy here, Matt Russell. Now, this is a guy who, unfortunately, can't look at the box score because he didn't have box score numbers because he played in the 90s and they weren't recording tackles back then. But if you are able to actually take a look at, you know, like projected stats, not official stats, he is the Buffalo's all-time leader in unassisted tackles. He ended up being a fourth-round pick in 97 uh, by the Detroit Lions. And ends up having a decent NFL career. I'm going to double check right now because I'm just not 100%. But Matt Russell was a guy who was definitely a tone setter during his days with the uh, Colorado Buffs. Was never, uh, he only played three years. So glad I double checked that. But for what it's worth, he is been with uh, the NFL as an administrator since 2001. He has won four Super Bowls as a front office guy. Uh, started this career as a scout for a very, very long time. And with the Philadelphia Eagles currently, he is their senior personnel executive. So Matt Russell, a very, very smart guy, someone who has spent a lot of time behind the scenes, but was a very, very productive uh, player during his time at Colorado. Also in 1996, won the Buckus Award as a nation's top linebacker. So very, very, very good college player, somebody who should definitely get some some mentions towards the uh, college football hall of fame let's go ahead and hop into our last break when we return we're going to go ahead and look at the returning players for the uh, for the pac-12 and just a broad scope over all of them this is the locked on some of this podcast 
And one more time, thank you guys so much for making Locked On Sun Devils your first listen every day. Make sure that your second listen is the Locked On NBA Big Board Podcast. Raphael Barlow, Richard Stamen, Sam Ferris, and Leif Thulin give fans an in-depth look into the biggest prospects, the latest player rankings, and of course, big boards. Just like the Locked On Sun Devils, it's free and available on all platforms, including the Odyssey app, YouTube, and wherever you get your podcasts. All right, looking back now at the college football Pac-12 guys who are returning on the ballot. This is including USC's Jeff Bregel, I believe is how you pronounce it, an offensive guard, Reggie Bush, the running back, uh, Mark Carrier, the defensive back, all from USC, offensive guard, guard Joe Garten from Colorado, running back Toby Gerhardt from Stanford, tight end Tony Gonzalez from Cal, place kicker John Lee from UCLA, Marshawn Lynch from Cal, running back, of course, Linebacker Ken Norton Jr. from UCLA. Linebacker Ron Rivera from Cal. And then the two USC guys being Luis Sandejas and Daryl Rogers. So, looking at these guys. There's a lot of guys who turned in big-time production at the pro level. Looking at the potential Hall of Famers and the pros, you have Tony Gonzalez, who's a slam dunk Hall of Famer, and I'm so stupid. He's in the Hall of Fame. But he he was the first ballot Hall of Famer. He has a very, very, very strong argument for being the greatest tight end of all time. You also have Marshawn Lynch, who I believe will get there one day. Arguably the most powerful running back to ever play at the pro level. Uh, Ron Rivera was a part of that 1985 Bears defense, which has one of the best arguments for the greatest defense of all time. Super Bowl champion. Was a very good head coach in the pros as well, currently with the Washington Commanders now. And then as far as like good players go in the pros, Reggie Bur- Reggie Bush turned in a very rock-solid career for the entirety of when he played for the um, – oh, he was all over the place. He started with the uh, New Orleans Saints – it was a thousand yard rusher with the Detroit Lions. I believe he toppled that mark with the Miami Dolphins. Uh, is the only player in NFL history with negative rushing yards in a season on like 20 carries or something like that with the Buffalo Bills. But Reggie Bush turned in a very good career. What gets overshadowed when you talk about Reggie Bush overall for his for his call or not college career, but his uh, football career entirely is. The fact that he is one of the most dominant college running backs ever, and it spans across every conference. But even just looking at the Pac-12, he managed 3,169 yards in three years, another, not just rushing, another 1,301 yards as a receiver, 38 total touchdowns. This was a guy who was largely not so much in a committee, but he, he was in a committee with Lendell White, who was the thunder to Reggie Bush's lightning. And I mean, Reggie Bush was just a whole freak kind of player. His junior season, one of the greatest single seasons ever, toppled 1,740 yards, 8.7 yards per carry. 8.7 yards per carry. He was almost getting a first down every time he ran the football. And then he tagged on 16 touchdowns, 478 uh, receiving yards on 37 catches for 12.9 reception, two more touchdowns, uh, 13.7 yards per reception for his career. He was also an outstanding return man. 
1,522 return yards as a kick returner with one touchdown. And then as a punt returner, 559 yards, 12.7 yards per return as a punt guy, which is just stupid. And three more touchdowns. So he toppled 44, 42 touchdowns in a three-year career, scored in four, four different ways. Uh, five different ways he actually managed to throw a touchdown as well. Uh, it was a 52-yard touchdown in 2004, one of one that year, 0 of 2 in 2005. But Reggie Bush is just the ultimate college football player. Uh, Mark Carrier was a guy who had some pro success as well, turned in 863 tackles, 32 interceptions during his time in the pros with the Chicago Bears, the Detroit Lions, and the then-Washington Redskins. Carrier was also a very, very good player and the College ranks, he was a guy who reeled in 17 interceptions in three seasons for the USC Trojans. Absolute ball hawk for them. Uh, Tony Gonzalez was a dominant college player as well as a pro player. He was actually, a fun fact, if you don't know this, he played college basketball as well. That's just a total fun little tongue-in-cheek comment to make because he, he just did everything. But... Tony Gonzalez was a very, very good college player, one of one of the highest drafted tight ends in NFL history, but dominated in the college ranks as well. Marshawn Lynch, another guy who I feel like people forget he was a top 15 pick in uh, the pro level, but was just an absolute tone setter during his time at Cal too. Uh, Ken Norton Jr., very, very good linebacker for UCLA. Uh, don't know much about the offensive linemen there being Joe Garten and Jeff Bregel, but obviously good enough to be on the ballot. Toby Gerhardt, people, I feel like people underestimate the career that he had during his time at Stanford. He was a Heisman Trophy finalist during his stint with the Stanford Cardinal. And this was a Stanford Cardinal team that wasn't exactly dominant, but during 2009, Toppled 1,871 yards, 28 rushing touchdowns in his four seasons, only two seasons as a starter, keep in mind, 3,522 yards, 44 touchdowns, also had 395 receiving yards and 39 uh, receptions for 10.1 yards per reception. Was an absolute animal, and the dude was enormous too. I mean, played at, uh, I need to double check right now. But he he was he was a big bruiser, six foot, two hundred thirty one pounds. Had some decent NFL success. He was a second round pick. Uh, was the ultimate like second hand guy to Adrian Peterson during his time in the pros, playing behind. Well, I just said it, Adrian Peterson with the Minnesota Vikings. Never turned into like the just dominant guy, but he was a very good Thunder to Adrian Peterson's Thunder and Lightning. Overall, I feel like there's quite a handful of these guys who deserve to get to the college football hall of fame. Certainly Reggie Bush needs to get there, but I feel like he's just one of those guys who gets so much flack for the fact that he, you know, had those recruiting violations and took money. And I believe he had like a car or something like that and got his Heisman stripped from him. But college football needs to get off their high horse and realize that Reggie Bush is one of the greatest playmakers that they've ever had. The rest of the guys definitely deserve to get in as well. How long it takes them, I'm not sure. College football's Hall of Fame is just so massive because of the hundreds of teams that you have to account for. But all of these guys should eventually get in, some of them sooner than others. But that is going to go ahead and wrap up this edition of the Locked on Sunnables podcast. Again, thank you guys so much for making us your first listen every day. 
Remember, we're free and available on all platforms, including YouTube, if you would like to check us out in a visual platform. But wherever you get your podcast, make sure that you subscribe and follow and turn on notifications so you get an update whenever we put out a new podcast. Remember that as of right now, we are going Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, but that is open to changing to Monday, Wednesday, Friday, if you guys would like. Make sure you let me know in the comments wherever you look at the podcast. You can also hit me up on Twitter at RichieBrad36, and you can follow the podcast as well at LO underscore Sun Devils. But until next time, guys, you keep it locked right here on Locked on Sun Devils.